All right, John's Gospel, John chapter 8. We definitely are in the summer, the lean vacation time. I hope you guys are having a good summer. This has been a great summer as far as I'm concerned. The weather and everything, it's just been gorgeous weather and man. Father, we pray that as we continue our study through the Gospel of John, would you please teach us? Would you give us life application? Would you help us to glean from your word, Lord? Would you help us? Would you shake us out of the doldrums that apparently many professing Christians have? So dull are many that if the statistics are right, few are even reading your word on a daily basis. And we don't want to be in that category, Lord. We want to be men and women of your word who read it, who believe it, who seek to apply it to our lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we might honor you today in the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we pick up in verse 13, but I need to back up a little bit to verse 12 so that we can kind of keep the flow of what was happening Last week we ended in verse 12, and we saw the second of seven I am statements of Jesus recorded in John's gospel account. Remember, I've pointed out a number of times that the uniqueness of each of the gospel accounts. In John's gospel account, he builds his whole gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, around seven I am statements of Jesus and seven signs of Jesus. And so last week we saw the second I am statement found there in verse 12 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I like that. I I like the fact that it says have, that we would have the light of life. So Jesus makes a statement and we see in verse 13, the response of the religious leaders. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, listen, But I am with the Father who sent me. It is written, it is also written in your law, that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. And then we have that that statement, which is uh, seen a number of times in John's gospel account. His hour had not yet come. So Jesus, he makes a statement, and the response is, uh, you're a false witness. You You can't witness for yourself. And of course, they're falling back on the law. The law says two or three uh, men. There has to be two or three witnesses on any particular case. 
And so Jesus makes it clear, listen, my witness is valid because uh, I, I know where I'm from. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. Uh, I, I witness of myself. That's sufficient. My, my father uh, witnesses of me, testifies of me. That's enough. Jesus. Guys, he's, as he's teaching the people, I, I think it's so important to recognize that he's revealing himself to the people. You know, as you look at the gospel account, um, we see Jesus. We have these little snapshots of Jesus in different locations at different times. He's doing different things. He's saying different things. We see the response of the people. You know, it seems like the religious leaders were always at odds with, with Jesus, always at war with their Messiah. The common people, it seemed like they were more open to the teachings of Jesus and they were more interested. And, and yet all of this is taking place and Jesus is on his way to the cross. You say, oh, not yet. This is too early in his ministry. Listen, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was on his way to the cross. We need to understand that. If we don't understand that, we begin to come up with theology, uh, teachings that are not biblical. I exhorted the first service. You know, guys, um, <laughs> I hate to say it, but we are a generation of lazy people. And we are lazy spiritually many times first. And I'm convinced that if we're lazy spiritually, it will eventually affect our family life. We'll be lazy in our family life, in our marriages. We'll be lazy in our marriages. We'll be lazy on the job. We'll be, it, just, it just has an effect. It's like that little leaven that seems to work its way through the whole batch. But if we're not lazy, if we're diligent when it comes to the Word of God, if we're people who read the Word of God, not because it's a task, but it's because we're in relationship with its author. We read the word, we want to hear from him, we want to receive from him. I'll tell you, there are apparently two distinct categories of professing Christians today. I had exhorted the first service that we should not get our theology, and it was interesting, you know, it's, it's a summertime, you know, attendance, so everything's down. And even as I spoke the words, I saw the reaction on some faces, because I was apparently speaking about something that was near and dear to some of them. I had made mention of the chosen, that we should not get our theology from a, a TV series. We shouldn't get our theology from a book. We should get our theology from Theo, from God. <laughs> we should go to the source. We should go to the word of God. Uh, there's a lot of people, apparently, you know, again, speaking of the laziness, sadly, in the church today, they feel like, well, boy, I'm getting my dose. You know, I watch my weekly dose. I don't even know when it's on. I've never watched an episode of it. I've seen little clips of it. But, um, but I get my, my dose, my biblical dose, watching, you know, The Chosen. And as you're watching that, you're getting, you're getting a different Jesus, I watched a little clip of the Jesus of the Chosen as he was pacing back and forth, practicing the Sermon on the Mount. Is that really something you think Jesus would do, that he would have to practice the Sermon on the Mount? 
But, you know, he wasn't quite sure what he was going to share. You know, the Bible declares that he is the word, the logos. He is the word. He is the impression or expression of the invisible God. When Jesus sat down on that mount and he began to teach, he wasn't looking at his notes and saying, oh, yeah, what was I going to say here? He was simply speaking from himself. He knew precisely what he was going to speak. There was some controversy a number of weeks ago with one of the episodes of The Chosen because the, um, there was one scene where Jesus was being confronted about the law, the Jesus of the Chosen, and the Jesus of the Chosen says, I am the law. Maybe some of you saw that. Do we find that in the Bible? We see a lot of I am's of Jesus, not just the seven that are recorded in John's Gospel account. We see a number of I am statements of Jesus. But do we ever read that Jesus is, I am the law? We don't. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from Mormonism. So you're getting a twisted, perverted view of Christ, of who he is. You know, he's not the uncertain, you know, man that was, you know, just kind of practicing. He didn't want to mess up. He struggled with life and everything. No, Jesus was completely in control from beginning to end. We see Jesus going before Pilate. You would not have authority over my life if it was not given to you. We see in the gospel account that Jesus, when it was time, when his hour had come, he gave up his spirit. He died. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. See, there's the Jesus of the Bible that we all should be drawn to because he is not a Jesus with a question mark over his head, you know, doubt in his heart, but one who is, as the book of Revelation says, the lamb who was slain before the creation of the earth. Jesus, the cross, it was not an afterthought. It was the plan from the very beginning. And we need to be so careful as we're listening to other sources or even reading other books that we're drawing a conclusion about Jesus that's not biblical. Jesus, he made this statement, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is in John's gospel. Remember how John opened his gospel account. When John opened his gospel account in John chapter 1, verse 4, he said, in him, the him is Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. That's how John opened his gospel account. He's light. The point is, this is not something new. Jesus, as he's speaking, he's simply confirming what has been said about him, either by the prophets or, you know, the biblical writers or John the Baptist. In fact, a little further down in John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, it says, He, John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that the true light, which gives light to every man, coming into the world. So Jesus is the light. So he says, he makes this statement, and they protest, and of course they would protest <laughs> no matter what Jesus said. It's interesting, I think, as, as you read the scriptures, I don't know about you, I think we all approach the word of God differently, but 
As I approach the Word of God, now I don't do this with other books, because to be honest, I'm not anticipating finding something hidden, something that's not at face value in a book written by a human author. But when I approach the Word of God, I always anticipate there are things here that I may not see, I may not appreciate at face value, so I want to take a, a closer look at, at what I'm reading here. I, I think it's worth noting that in our text today, there are three words that really kind of jump out. If you're, if you're just reading, you're paying attention, I, I guess it depends on what translation of the Bible you have. If you have the King James, I'm using the New King James, so it uses the word witness, it uses the word witness. Um, the Greek of that word is found seven times in our text today. It's six times we see the word witness in English in the New King James, and then once we see the word testimony, but it's the same Greek word, seven times. And then father is another word that kind of jumps off the page. If you're just reading it, you're, you're realizing, well, I keep reading this word over and over again. Father is another key word to our text. It's used eight times in our text, but the word father is found 21 times in chapter 8. So that's worth noting, you know. It's not always speaking of God the Father as we move on in chapter 8. It goes on to speak of Father Abraham. And then the third word that jumps out at me personally is the word where. Where. You might have noticed it even as I read just that first portion of our text today. Where. We see it a number of times. In fact, we see it six times in our text today. So Jesus, look at verse 14. Jesus says, I know where I came from. I know where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Now, if you were there, if you were listening to Jesus, what, what, and your mind was stimulated, you know, you weren't dozing, you were thinking, you're saying, what is it? I think the question that would be on our heart would be, where is where? He's talking about a location. He says, where? Where is where? Well, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But then he goes on, and of course, as I've already mentioned, he makes it clear that he gives testimony of himself. He's a witness of himself. The Father is a witness of him. We know from other portions of John's gospel account, like John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify or witness of me. See, there's a theme, guys. As John was led by the Holy Spirit to record these things, and I even believe that when John and, and Peter, or not Peter, Peter was the source for Mark, but when John and, and, and Mark and Matthew and Luke, I don't know that I don't think that they sat down, they had a journal, and they were writing these things down. These things might be important in the future. But as the scripture says that these things were God-breathed, all scriptures God-breathed, that it was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is why some of the gospel writers recorded some things and, and, and did not record other things, and, and others, you know, touched on things that none of the others, like John, for example, he tells us a lot of things that Jesus did and said that are not recorded in the other three synoptic gospels. The point I guess I'm trying to make is that this book is supernatural. It's not, it's not just a book written by men. 
When you hear people make that, oh, the Bible was written by, you know, it's like, man, do your homework before you even make a statement like that. Because you don't even know what you're talking about. It was written by one man, or it's written, you have some theory. And, you, and you, I, I remember when I first got saved, you know, there was this, uh, every generation, it seems like there's this uh, thing that's going to uh, turn over the belief of Christians, you know. Uh, a number of years ago, it was Dan Brown's, you know, the Da Vinci Code, you know. This is going to destroy Christianity, you know. But I remember when I first got saved, there was a little, little, little paperback book uh, floating around. It was called The Passover Plot. I think it was written in 1969. And this book was going to overturn Christianity as we know it. I don't think it did anything to overturn Christianity as we know it because the word of God stands true. But people are always, I mean, some people are always trying to find fault with the word of God or fault with the Lord himself so that they could kind of chip away at it. That's their, I guess that's their calling in life, to be cynics and critics of the word of God. I hope your calling in life is to be a follower of Jesus. Um, following him. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. He speaks our name. He knows our name, and we know his voice. Well, they asked the question. They said, uh, where is your father? They're confused. You're talking about your father. Where is your father? There's the word where again. Look at verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sins. Note this, here it is again, where I go, you cannot come. And, and then note verse 22, the reasoning, of the, <laughs> the reasoning of the natural man is really foolishness. Verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I, am, where I go, you cannot come. I mean, how would you come up with that conclusion? It just, I mean, to me, it just seems so abstract. Why you would even come up with that, you know? Oh, that's what he's going to do. He's going to kill himself, you know? I mean, even, you know, the, the lack of, of thinking through. The, if he is going to kill himself, then what are you guys sweating it? You're jealous. You're driven. You want to destroy him. I mean, this is your goal in life. If he's going to kill himself, then let him do it. But, of course, that was not the plan at all. Verse 30, or 23, and he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you, to you that you will die in your sins. For if, note that if, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Jesus, he speaks about where. It's a key word in our text. And if they're paying attention, Jesus said, you're from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. 
if they're paying attention, they might conclude, okay, the where is not from beneath. The where is not from this world. There's a lot of Christians today who are bent on bringing the kingdom of God to this earth, kingdom now theology. It's got a number of different titles, but there's a lot of churches that hold to that, you know. Um, their understanding of eschatology, so the things pertaining to the last days, well, they don't really even touch that. They just believe that the church, our purpose, our goal, is to usher in the kingdom of Christ. That the church is going to Christianize the world to such a degree that, that Christianity, the biblical truth, is seen in all areas of life, in politics, in the arts, in the school system. And I'll tell you what, if, if that's really the goal, if that's the purpose of the church, we're failing miserably because we're going in reverse. We're not, we're not gaining ground. We're losing ground all the time. The fact of the matter is, is that the Bible teaches what will happen. The Bible teaches that there will be a time of tribulation such as has never been seen since there was a nation, since the world was created, according to Jesus. Seven years of tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus will come back, his second coming. He comes back. I believe he comes back with his church. I believe that we'll, we'll be out of here before the tribulation period. But he comes back with his church. He comes back with his church. He fights with the sword that protrudes out of his mouth. I think that speaks symbolically of something else. Maybe the word, his word, the spoken word. And he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and he throws them into the abyss. He takes Satan, that dragon of old, and he throws him into the pit, chained up for a thousand years. Then what? He sets up his kingdom upon the earth for a thousand years. He doesn't. The church isn't doing it. The church can't do that. Only Christ can do that. So, again, the where is not from beneath. The where is not of this world. The where is not here. The where is from above. Jesus said, I'm going away. Again, guys, Jesus had a lot to say. Um, if you're just kind of, you know, going through the pages of your Bible and just kind of, okay, I'll read right here, rather than systematically reading through, you know, a gospel or an epistle or, or whatever, you're really going to miss out. Because what we find many times as students of the scripture is that something is presented and then you seem to move on from it and then later on, that thing that was presented earlier, those things, because it's not just one thing, it's many things, it's like it's revisited. I mean, we're watching the, the direction, the leading, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when we read the epistles and the gospel accounts, that there's something laid out, there's a truth that's laid out, and then the Holy Spirit, as he's leading the author, the human author, he'll highlight those things once again, as we saw this morning. In chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Well, it was already laid down, wasn't it? In the very first chapter, John chapter 1, it was laid down. Who is he? He's the light of the world. He is the light of the world and is picked up and is amplified. And it will be amplified again. 
Jesus said, I'm going away. Again, this is something that we see throughout John's gospel account. If all we had was John's gospel account, we would, we would have all we need. I'm so thankful that we have 66 books of the Bible, not just one. But Jesus said to the officers, we saw this, I think, last, or not last week, the week before, but in John chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, Jesus said to the officers, they come to arrest him. And remember what Jesus said? He says, I, I shall be with you a little while longer, and I go to him. Then I go to him who sent me. He says, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. That's what he said to them. And remember, they came back empty-handed, and the religious leader says, where is he? We sent you to, to arrest him. And they said, no one ever spoke like him. I mean, they were just dumbfounded by, by how he spoke. And then in John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said to the people, just the people that he was speaking to, he says, a little while longer, the light, oh, we're coming back to that picture, the light. The light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And then Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 13. Again, all these are from John's gospel account, verse 33. Listen to what he said to his disciples. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, and do you remember what follows that? Jesus says, I say to you, love one another as I have loved you. And then Jesus said to his disciples later on in John's gospel account, John chapter 16, verse 16. He says, a little while. Do you see there's a theme, guys? Do you see that? Are you following that there's a theme here? He says, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. This is so important. Jesus says to the officers who come to arrest him, he says to the people, I'm going away, you can't come, you can't come. He even says to his disciples, initially, I'm going away, you can't come. But then he changes it. And he says, I'm going and, but I'm coming again in a little while, and you'll see me. You know, guys, we don't like it because in our culture today, everything's supposed to be even Stephen. We give trophies to people who try rather than people who win. And uh, we uh, give yourself a pat on the back and an applause. And I remember when our children were in school, and um, we would go to a, you know, a, something, an event, and we would see that. And my wife and I would just cringe because we thought, this is not good. This is not good. See, the lie at that time, and it still continues to this day, is that we're basically good people. The Bible says we're sinners. We're basically good people. And we all suffer from low self-esteem. If we simply loved ourselves more, we'd be able to love others and we would be more productive in life. Again, you have the worldview and you have the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview says 
you already love yourself. If you could just love others the same way you love yourself, <laughs> see, it's, it's like it's like you're you're already there. I mean, you 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 already you, you have no problem loving yourself, celebrating yourself. But I want you to be other-centered rather than self-centered. Do you see what I'm saying? There's, there's constantly, we live in a world of conflicting messages all the time. And if we're not doing our due diligence and we don't know the scriptures, we will listen to the philosophy of the world and we will assure ourselves that this is of the Lord. As a kid, I thought for sure that Bible verse, I didn't know where it was located, but I knew it had to be somewhere important in the Bible. My mother would quote it quite a bit. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, of course, <laughs> there is no such verse. She would make that statement because she wanted me to clean my room, and I didn't want to clean my room, and so that was the motivation. Jesus revealed the where to his disciples in John chapter 14. You know where I'm going? John chapter 14, the first four verses, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Why were their hearts troubled? Because he keeps saying, I'm going away. I'm going away. I'm going away. And their hearts are troubled. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house. There it is. There's the where. What? In my Father's house. There's the where. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now listen to what he says. I go, he kept saying, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. You'll search for me, you won't find me. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is the where. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. This is beautiful if you're a believer. If you're not, it's meaningless to you. I mean, there is the haves and the have-nots. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, here's what's fair. The Lord says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's fair. That's more than fair. That it's not by works of righteousness which we have been saved, but according to his mercy. That's more than fair. And yet we... I'm going to do it my way. And the Lord is a perfect gentleman. And he says, okay. Okay. Guys, the where is where the Lord is right now preparing a place for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. He's going to come and receive us to himself. I, I love this. This is a text that I use many times to teach on the rapture of the church. He says, receive to myself that where I am, where are you? Where? <laughs> my father's house, that where I am, you may be also. And of course, Jesus says, uh, and where I go, you know the way. And remember, Thomas responded, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And sadly, today, we live in an age of the church where there are many professing Christians that protest, and they say, not true, not true, not true. 
Jesus is not the only way. If you have a sincere heart, the Bible says that our hearts are wicked. Who can know them? You see, guys, it's not, I'm not playing games with you. I'm not throwing, you know, scriptures or parts of scriptures out at you to, you know. I'm just simply saying we have the truth in God's word, and so we need to adhere to the truth. We need to know the truth so that when we hear the philosophy of the world, that is, it tries to make things even easier than it already is. And it's basically, you can believe whatever you want as long as you have a sincere heart. And our hearts are not sincere. Our hearts are wicked. In Romans, I think it's chapter 3, it's been a while since I read it, where Paul goes through and he's quoting from from the Psalms. He's quoting from other sources. And he just goes through this list, you know, how humanity, how we're liars. When we open our mouth, it's like like the bite of an asp. We just lie. Sometimes we wonder, why am I lying about that? We just lie. We just say things that aren't true. We exaggerate. No one seeks God. No, not one. And we say, no, I'm a seeker. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So Jesus, he tells his disciples... Listen, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sin, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's been said, and I think it's biblically accurate, that the Lord doesn't send anyone to hell. Humanity chooses it. I'd rather have hell than the restrictions of the narrow way. I would rather have hell than, than to have to say no to my flesh. Well, the last portion of our text, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I also do those things that please him. In verse 33, and he spoke these words, many believed in him. Many believed in him. You say, well, why is this part important? Because this part explains how the where is possible. when the Son of Man is lifted up. In John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And look what it says. This is a commentary that John gives us. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. When I'm lifted up. Crucifixion. You know, it's interesting how those who crucified Jesus, um, because remember it was the Romans, the Jews had no authority to do such a thing. 
But the Romans, as they were crucifying Jesus, no doubt, there was no sympathy, no mercy. You know, he was just another of many. And, uh, you know, there are sometimes people, just because of the life they've lived and experiences they've had, you know, they could be kind of hard and callous. And I'm sure that's how these, these Roman soldiers were, you know. And uh, they go through the whole process and the mocking and everything else. And finally, it gets to the point, you know, the religious leaders say, uh, you need to speed this up, you know, because appearance is important to us. We can't have these guys hanging on the cross, crosses on the Sabbath. This is a special Sabbath. So they grabbed a sledgehammer and they went up to the two, one on the left, one on the right, and they broke the knees of the two. And you understand why they did that, so they could no longer push up to get air. <gasps> so they basically suffocated, you know. We'll just speed this up. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. And someone said, well, you better make sure he's already dead. Soldier takes a spear. It's interesting, the Bible tells us that blood and water came forth. The same thing we find in birth, blood and water. You say, what are you doing? You're playing with it. I'm not playing with it. Jesus, in one sense, if you will, spiritually speaking, was giving birth to something. Do you know what he was giving birth to? The church. Blood and water. But remember the response of at least one of them. No man had ever died like this. Jesus was a witness to people, even in the way he died. He wasn't begging, pleading for his life. You know, I'm innocent. I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry that I said any of these things. I was just joking. What, no. When he was lifted up. You know, that lifted up, I think it has a dual thing. Not just his death, but when he's lifted up, his ascension into heaven draws all men to himself. You say, but that hasn't happened. But the opportunity for that is now available. Because Jesus was lifted up, the crucifixion, anyone can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. There is no limitations. There is no, you can't. Only they can. It's beautiful. But men will still choose to say no to the Lord. The fool. I don't mean to insult, but it is the fool who does not bow the knee now and confess with his or her mouth today or now because the Bible says that a day is coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You say, oh, so everyone will be saved in the end. No, that's not what it means. It just simply means that everyone who's ever lived will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. You confess it now in this life or you confess it later in his presence. If you confess it now, you don't have to die in your sins. Your sins are removed. Many believed. Beautiful, beautiful. We're going to partake of communion, and so uh, 
and we're going to do it all together here. So Nehemiah and Marielle come up. I'm going to read just a little bit from uh, Luke's gospel account. I'm reading from Luke chapter 22. It says, when the hour had come, again, I love this. Guys, there's patterns. There's, there are things that should be, um, you know, exciting little um, <laughs> revelations. As we're reading the word of God and we say, there's a pattern here. Oh, I, I've seen that word. This is a word that's significant. You know, we, we see it in John's gospel account. Uh, they could not touch him. They could not take him. They could not, you know, because his hour had not yet come. His hour has not yet come. His hour has not yet come. And then he says, my hour is now come. Let's go. So here, before he was arrested, when the hour had come, he sat down. And the 12 apostles with him, then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is finished in the kingdom of God. It's beautiful. I don't picture the Jesus of modern day presentations of Jesus cowering, second guessing. I hope I got this right. but he's in charge. I've looked so forward to this. I can almost picture Peter protesting and say, Lord, we've had, we've had at least two other Passovers with you, maybe even three. What makes this one so special? Not understanding. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God. Guys, listen. The kingdom now, Christians, kingdom now, theology, you know, the, the, this whole dominion theology. Do you remember Jesus was asked, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples? He says, when you pray, say, my father, our father. Remember, our father, not just my father. It's not a, just a personal thing. It's a collective thing. Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then remember, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the church should be looking forward to. The kingdom. We partake, we do it in remembrance. But I, I'm telling you, this should be this expectation in our hearts that one day we're going to partake of this with our Lord, our shepherd, our king, <laughs> the, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin. Then in the kingdom, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be glorious, glorious. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Lord, we thank you. You guys, come on up. We'll just uh, part, we'll hand these out now. And Lord, we thank you that you have 
declared your truth. You have given us this simple thing to remember you, Lord, to remember the incarnation, your body, to remember your blood that was shed, Lord. Oh, how beautiful it is. Thank you, Lord. We'll partake together, so just wait till everyone gets there. So.